Are you tired of putting yourself last? Of taking care of everybody else's needs and powering through to meet the next set of impossible standards? In our fast-paced society, we lose touch with our intrinsic worth, with the ability to value ourselves for who we are right now. Instead of living life exhausted, frustrated, and disconnected from your authentic self, maybe it's time to put yourself back in the life you've worked so hard to create. Join radio host and life choreographer Laura Cheadle and learn how to build your dreams and live your sparkle using the five steps of flaunt. Find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Hello, welcome to Flaunt, Build Your Dreams and Live Your Sparkle. I'm Laura Cheadle, and if you are new to my show, let me just tell you two seconds about what you are about to hear, Ah, because it's so exciting. My show is all about building your dreams and living your sparkle through the five steps of flaunt, which are find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. And what I like to do is bring on guests who have built their dreams and have lived their sparkle in the most glorious way possible. Today's guest is Kelly Notaris, and she's an author, a speaker, a book editor, and an entrepreneur. And oh my gosh, there is so much that I love about her. I I could probably spend an hour just talking about how wonderful she is. But she's got a book out there called The Book You Were Born to Write. Now, she is so qualified to write this book. She started her book editing career right out of college by moving to New York, where she worked in the editorial divisions at Avon Books, HarperCollins, Penguin USA, and Hyperion. Then she relocated to Boulder, where she became the VP Associate Publisher at Sounds True. And that's a great publishing house. They're very spirituality-based. There, she received her education in transformative, transformational nonfiction by editing some pretty incredible books by some pretty well-known authors. Since then, she started freelancing, and holy cow, she has built up her own company called KN Literary Arts. It's amazing. I have worked with them they teach classes. They, they've got this whole team of editors who are mostly women, maybe all women. We'll find out a little bit more. But they help writers bring their work into the world, whether it's content editing or line editing or teaching classes, just a whole huge variety of things. Anyway, what's most exciting about all of that is she's teaching at the Omega Institute about how to write your book. So if you think you might have a book in you, if you've always thought, oh, maybe I could do this, you're going to want to listen to this show. So I'm going to quit blabbing my mouth about how wonderful Kelly is, and I'm just going to bring her on. So welcome to the show, Kelly. Hi, Laura. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. I've just talked about you. Let's talk about you some more. (laughs) (laughs) You're this incredible book editor. You're this author. You help people write books. Talk a little bit more about what it is that you do and can literary. Yes, absolutely. So 
As you said in my wonderful intro, thank you so much for that. I started my book career when I was just out of college. I knew I wanted to be in books because I loved books and I loved reading and had worked in a bookstore in college. And so I moved to New York, which is where you go when you want to become a book editor. And I got my first job as an editorial assistant, which is what you do. You have to start (laughs) at the bottom and work your way up. It's a very apprentice-based business. So I got to learn from some wonderful editors while I was there at all the different publishing companies you named that I worked for. And then between my last two gigs in New York, I actually had found my way to start meditating. And that was something that changed everything for me. Um, it's They talk about, you know, how, so it's amazing how much can happen when you're just sitting there doing nothing. But mm-hmm. the truth is that meditation really did change my life. And because of that, I met people who were working in what I call transformational nonfiction. So that's self-help, personal growth, inspirational memoir, books like yours coming out. And that was the sort of turning point for me, realizing that I wanted to be editing books that were the kind of books that I liked to read. Because at the time, I was very, very much a reader and a a voracious reader and spiritual seeker. And in that process, I met a wonderful woman named Patty Gift, who put me up for a job at Sounds True, which had me move away from New York to Boulder, Colorado. And of course, as you also know, Colorado is a wonderful place to be and live. And I still live there today. Um, And... At Sounds True, I really did learn more and more about this particular genre, and I started to see how many people out there have transformational wisdom and inspiring stories that they can share and help other people. And so when I decided to go freelance, I started editing books for, you know, everyone, people who were going to be published by big traditional houses, but also people who were planning to self-publish because they had a story or wisdom to share. And I have in the past six years, six and a half years, grown that business into uh, quite a large company to my, both my shock and amazement. Um, we're going to do a million dollars in top line sales this year, which is just um, beyond my expectations that I could ever have possibly had. Um, and I've gotten a real education in what it means to run a business. That's what I'm, that's the, edu- that's the, the PhD I'm getting right now. Yes. Um, but still what we, what we have seen is that there are so many people out there who have these wonderful stories and this wonderful wisdom that they just need help getting to the page because for whatever reason, they have this burning desire to write the book, but something seems to be standing in the way. So I think of us as the removers of obstacles standing between you and having your book in the world. And that's what we do. Knliterary.com. I love that. Now, for the listeners who are out there who are thinking transformational nonfiction, I'm not quite sure what that is. Can you give us a brief definition? Totally. So what I say is it's books that are meant to help and serve people, to make them happier, to make them realize that life is okay, that they can be healthier, that they can be just more more free spiritually and emotionally speaking. And so it's it's generally the categories of self-help, personal growth, inspirational memoir, that kind of thing. Perfect. Thank you. That makes sense. So you're helping people get their message out into the world. Now, are what kinds of people are you helping? I mean, are you helping, you know, housewives? Are you helping PhDs? Who is your client that you're helping? Yes, every, everyone that you just mentioned and all in between. So we have a lot of relationships with publishing companies, book packagers, literary agents. So they send us clients all the time. And those folks tend to be people who already have an author platform built or underway who are going to be published by one of the traditional houses. So that's one part of our business. But actually, the larger portion of our business and the portion that our editors, writers, and coaches actually prefer to work with are everyday 
people who have a story that's extraordinary, that they've been sort of hiding their light under a bushel all this time, um, whether it's a story from their own life or they're writing um, a novel based on their life or they're wanting to put a methodology, for example, that they are have been teaching through their healing practice or their psychotherapy practice for the last 30 years and they need to get it onto the page. So people who are really have that heart of service and want to get their book in the world to help other people, but maybe don't have all of the ducks in a row yet to find an agent or a traditional publisher. I like that. And you provide a lot of education for people too, in terms of what does it mean to be published by a traditional publisher and what does it mean to self-publish? And I'm thinking for our listeners out there right now, they might be thinking, I'm not exactly sure what that means either. (laughs) Yes, great. I'd love to just explain. So when people think about getting their book published, often they're thinking about the authors that they know, the big above the marquee names, all of whom are generally published by what we call traditional publishers. So it used to be this was really the only way to get your book published. You had to find a literary agent who believed in you so much that they were willing to shop your book around without taking any money for it until they actually sold it, at which time they would get a percentage. And they would be shopping it around to, at the time, there were many, many publishers out there. This is, let's say, in the second half of the last century. Well, around 2000, consolidation started happening in earnest, meaning that the bigger publishers started snapping up the smaller publishers and making them imprints under their corporate overhead. And the result of that was that fewer and fewer books were being published and there was less and less competition. And those publishers were looking for what they would consider to be sure things. So a book that you know is going to sell 5,000 to 10,000 copies in the first year because you need it to sell that many copies to make your overhead and to make back the expenses that you put into putting that book in the world. As a result, the stakes are much higher for the publisher and the, uh, the, you know, bar that has to be crossed is much higher for the author, meaning that you have to have an audience already there and waiting for you if you really want to have a chance at one of the bigger traditional publishers. Then there are sort of the the publishers that have actually managed to somehow stay independent and not get snapped up by those corporate behemoths. And many of those publishers actually don't have quite as high a bar. So that's another option for authors. But on the other side, if you don't have a following yet, and or if you're more of a DIY kind of person and you don't want someone else telling you what the cover of your book's going to look like and you know making editorial changes that you may or may not agree with, et cetera, which is part of the path when you're going with a traditional house, you can now, for the first time in human history, self-publish a book easily and effectively. So this is all because of something called print-on-demand digital publishing that's stepped into the place, again, since about 2000, where little publishers are popping up that can print off one copy of your book for you, two copies, 10 copies, 100 copies, meaning that there's not such a huge um, initial outlay of cash that's required in order to get a book into the world. You can just digitally create it at a much lower cost and print as many copies as you can sell. And because of that, the field is now wide open to absolutely anyone who wants to publish a book for any reason. You know, you could publish it because you want to have a book for your children or your grandchildren. You can publish it because it really does help grow a business to have a book in the world. And that's very true to establish your expertise and let people know a little more about you. And so there's a lot of different reasons and a lot of availability for self-publishing out there today. 
I love that. And, you know, last Christmas, I got a book in the mail from a friend who literally just wrote the story of his family because it was interesting. And mm. he printed off, I think, like 30 copies, sent it to his Christmas card list. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then people were so captivated by it. Now he's sold something like 200 copies. Awesome. Which, yeah, is way more than he ever thought. So, listeners, if you're out there and you're thinking, oh, I'd like to do this, but I don't know how. Kelly is who you want to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, it's true. Now, the book that you wrote, your own book, and yes. it's the book you were born to write. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about that and what readers and listeners can expect when they check that book out. Yes. So the subtitle of the book is Everything You Need to Finally Get Your Wisdom Onto the Page and Into the World. And that was definitely my northern star when I was writing the book, making sure that it really included everything, start to finish, everything you would need to know, including what's the book business like? What does it mean to be traditionally published? What are your options for self-publishing? How do you choose a topic that is going to be captivating to a large number of readers? How do you build an outline that will support you through the writing process, overcoming the resistance that is inevitably going to show up because writing a book is a very long game. You have to sit down and write many, many words. <laughs> and so <laughs> you actually have to know how to work with it when suddenly it seems like, oh, what I need to do right now is clean out the refrigerator, even though I I was supposed to be writing right now, which seems to happen a lot. Um, yes. How to work with editors and coaches to help ease that pathway. Someone there with you who's an expert in the area who can guide you through the process and keep you accountable. If you're having trouble actually sitting down and writing, having someone there who's talking to you every week, working through the resistance with you um, and is waiting to see your pages once you write them can be a huge, huge asset. And then the last section of the book is really about what it means to be published. If you want to go the traditional route, how to find a literary agent, um, what the indie publishers are versus the big publishers, and then of course, the self-publishing and building a platform to actually get the word out to other readers. So it's really everything that you would need to know if this is the journey you want to be on. Perfect. And I just want to jump in on the whole resistance piece because I'm thinking listeners out there might be thinking, I don't get it. If you want to write a book, write the book. What are you meaning <laughs> resistance to write the book? But I know in my life, whether it's writing or something else, there are plenty of things that I want to do. And then you sit down or at least I sit down speak for myself. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'll think, I don't know what that means. And it gets scary. Mm -hmm, so yeah. then just like you said, oh, I'm going to throw in some laundry. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, you know, resistance can show up in many ways for many different reasons. Some of the things I hear very frequently are, I can't really tell my story honestly because my parents are still alive or my kids wouldn't like it. Um, there are people who are, maybe they're actually a leader in their field, but they still don't feel like they're quite good enough. They're not the best. So are they going to be judged if they put into the world, what they've learned or what they teach. So there's a lot of fear of being seen and fear of being known, and it's safer to stay invisible. Um, there's also a way that I, I find that many of the authors that I work with, they thought they should be able to sit down with a blank page on their computer and that blinking cursor and know exactly what to write first, exactly what to write second, exactly what to write third without planning it in advance. 
And the yeah. fact is that that is a very, very difficult thing to do because the human brain is not built for long-term, large format content. It's really built for small assignments that don't take that long to accomplish. So I always say you're setting yourself up for success by creating an outline because if you have that outline, Every time you sit down, you know exactly where to start because you can pick any of the little chunks you've outlined, you know, for yourself. Like maybe it's a story here or it's an exercise there or it's a point you want to make about this. It's all right there and you can just pick one and start writing. And because you can get started quickly without having to think too hard about the entire scope of the book, you actually start writing and you don't find yourself in front of the refrigerator or at the laundry, laundry machine or whatever it might be. Right, right. And let me just share with you and with our listeners out there, I was actually just talking about you and your book yesterday. Oh, wow. Yeah, because uh, listeners, I think you know that my first book, Flaunt, Drop Your Cover and Reveal Your Smart, Sexy, Spiritual Self is being released November 5th. Yay. Yay, I know. And Kelly (laughs) helped me write the book proposal on that. So it's amazing. That when people say, how long did that book take you? I always have to laugh because 10 years, because at first I wasn't thinking about a book. I was just writing down stories from my clients and then I was writing down my methodology and guess what? I never, ever, ever, not once, not ever had an outline (laughs) (laughs) because it was just, it was just stories. So when you were talking about those story chunks, I'm like, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh. But then trying to put those story chunks together and then I would duplicate things and it was all over the map. And then I would get frustrated and overwhelmed and I'd say, forget it. This is just stupid. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, after reading your book and part of that was I didn't have the intention of writing a book when I started to write it. Mm. I just wrote. Right. Right. But using your book, even as a second time author, I am using your book to remind me, oh, this is how to do it right the second time. This is how to be more intentional, more efficient, and to give myself less brain damage. Yes, indeed. I mean, I get it. Some people, when you say outline, the last time they wrote an outline was in ninth grade English class, and that's traumatizing. They don't want to have to write an outline. And I say, okay, and I generally support people in writing freehand and sitting down doing writing prompts, journaling every day. All of that is important, and all of that is part of my own writing practice. But when it comes to writing a book, you will need to know in advance what you're writing and where, because otherwise you you will, in the fact, Laura, that you continued and you persevered without the outline on the first book, that just speaks to your... Um, absolute above average drive to get that book out because it's the kind of thing that stops people because it's really just too hard. Frankly, it's just too hard. You know, the brain is gets overwhelmed and there's so many other things that you, that you feel like they're more important to do. So, I mean, I get it that I have to sometimes tell people five times, Hey, this would really help. Hey, uh, if you were willing to do an, okay, nope, you're not fine. No problem. Oh, you're back. Oh, great. Okay. Now maybe an outline (laughs) and it's fine. I, I so get it. I understand. I support everyone's process. And I always say that life has a plan for your book and it may not be the same plan you have for it. It may not be the same schedule. It may not be the same book that you thought you were writing. So to really walk the path is the path of writing a book. You have to just take what comes and do what you need to do. And hopefully for those who are listening, hearing this show will actually give you the information that you need. So when life is like, okay, now it's time, you'll know where to go to get the building blocks. 
Yes, absolutely. And whether you've written something or you have an entire manuscript or it's just all in your head, this is such a great place to start. Yeah. It's you know, true. yes, yeah, uh-huh. to figure all that out. Good. Okay, so you have also got a course coming up um, really soon at the Omega Institute that's yes. kind of based on your book, right? Yes, indeed. October 20th to the 25th. And it's going to be, it's called The Book You Were Born to Write. And I've taught it several times at other retreat centers. It's the first time I'm going to teach it at Omega, which I'm really excited about. So I love Omega. Um, and what we do during that course is really walk through the how, the why, and then the actual practice of working on a book. So my goal is that by the end of that week, you've got some really solid writing time in, but you also have the information that you need and the inspiration that you need to keep going and bring a book into the world as soon as its life wants to have it come through you. So it's been a wonderful, wonderful retreat. I've gotten nothing but positive feedback about it and I'm constantly refining it and I've got some really cool things we're going to do at Omega for the first time. So I'm very much looking forward to it. That's amazing. You know, when I was learning about this workshop myself, and I first I saw five days, and I have to be honest, I thought, five days? Who can take five days? Right. And then I read, <laughs> then I read the description, and I thought, hello, hello. You need those five days to step out of your life to mm-hmm. implement this. Because if it was a one-day workshop, many of us would go home ex- inspired, make dinner, fall asleep, wake up and forget that we were even at a workshop. (laughs) Exactly. That's totally true. I really try to arrange it so everyone who comes makes the next step of progress that they need to make. It's kind of like a one-room schoolhouse. One of the students said that to me, which I loved, which is that some people come in and they've already got a book half written and what they are there to do is keep writing. Then there are other people who have had a book dream their whole life and they're still not totally sure what the book is. They will also get served. And then the people that I actually feel the most excited about are those who know what book they want to write, have been intending to write it for a really long time, but didn't have an outline. And by the (laughs) time they leave, they have that outline and they have the experience, the the actual direct experience of having sat down and written one of those chunks, two of those chunks on that outline while we're there. And it just sets into their bodies this muscle memory of, I can do this. I can, as long as I can set aside the time, as long as I can build my own writing plan, which is something that we work on during the week. As long as I can do that, I know I'll be able to finish this book. And that's what I love is knowing those people are walking out of there way more confident than they walked in. Yes. And I'm glad you used the word confident because when I took, I I haven't taken this this class from you, Yes, but Uh I took the how to write a book proposal class from you Uh like five years ago. And what was valuable to me was one, some structure. These are the pieces of your book proposal. I could have Googled that. But I didn't really understand it. (laughs) Having somebody say, these are chapter outlines, and sometimes they're called, and this is what you, it's like, oh, oh, oh. And then just having someone to talk back and forth with, like, this is my idea. Is this good? Mm -hmm. Because we all want some validation. And it's so important to be able to just put things out there and have somebody like you say, brilliant idea. 
and keep going. Yep. Yeah, keep going. And have you thought about this like an outline? Yes, 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 exactly. That's one of the things that we do. We have um, some sort of one-on-one, what I call hot seats in the class where I sit with a person, you know, we pull actually names out of a basket and call someone up and they're usually scared to death to come up. But we sit down and I say, what's the hook of your book? The hook being that one to two sentence pitch. How would you talk about the book if someone came up to you and said, hey, I heard you're writing a book. What's it about? And we've worked on it up until that point. And then we decide, you know, to, that we're t- people who want to put their name in the basket and are brave <laughs> enough to come to the front. I'll pick one of them and we'll talk about your particular idea. And I will talk about what I love about it and what I'd like to see more of. So you're right. Just hearing that that validation and where to lean more into. Because again, you were talking about the brain and the brain does things in chunks. And when I get in that spaghetti mind and I don't know where to go, do I tell more about this? Do I tell more about this? So a workshop like that would just be so valuable. So you don't waste all that valuable time talking about your dog's or your cat's hairball problem. Yes. Move into what's truly valuable. Right. And what's been really great also is that when someone gets to talk in front of the group about their idea, the rest of the group then hears it. And throughout the course of the day, since we're all, you know, eating together and, you know, it's really we're together the whole week, they get to give feedback. Like, hey, this is what I really liked. And this is what I'd like to see more of as well. And that is just so nice to get the reverb of other people in the room. And, um, and then it's really kind of cool that then someone will come up maybe later in the week who's had the benefit of listening to other people's ideas get workshopped and they bring an idea that's just mic drop, you know, and they, they say it and everyone's like, whoa, that's exactly what it should be. And it's so cool because everyone starts to recognize what we're looking for when we talk about what I call a narrowly tailored high concept magnetic hook, because that's what I want everyone to have before you start writing, because that's what it takes to really grab the attention of readers. And that's what you want. If you're writing a book. Right. And the other thing that I think is useful about a workshop, going to a workshop, I mean, reading your book is one thing, but if you can attend a class, I think the value of that is it gets you out of your own echo chamber. Yes. Because we know our families, we know our friends, they know our stuff, they love our work. Yay! Yes. <laughs> and talking to strangers, whatever it is, whether it's the feedback or that I don't understand what you're saying, let's come up with a new word because yep. it sounds great, but I don't get it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. There's no question about it that it takes you outside of your comfort zone a little bit. And a lot of people have a hard time at first. They're like, I don't want to reveal my story idea. And there's also this question, which I'll just answer right now, because I guarantee you some of your listeners are thinking it is like, well, if I tell people what book I'm working on, they're going to steal my idea. I mean, I hear that all the time. And the issue there is that if you don't talk to people about your book and start spreading the word and getting feedback, you are going to be in your own echo chamber. There's nothing new under the sun. Someone definitely already has the idea that you have, even though you think it's the most unique idea in the world. There's 7.9 billion people on the planet and they absolutely, someone has the idea you have, but they, they're not you. They're not going to write it in your voice. They're not going to write it with your stories attached with your wisdom attached. So you can just relax and say, okay, I need to start talking about this, not just 
in terms of the workshop, which definitely you're going to have to reveal to other people what you're writing on in that workshop, but actually in the world at large, in order to get the reverb that I need to know that I'm on the right track, I'm going to start having to talk to professionals about it, editors, coaches. I'm going to need to be talking to my you know, social media following about it, find out what book they would like to hear from me. I'm going to need to start blogging about it and posting about it. All of that is part of the ecosystem of creating a book that does have an audience. So I want just to clear everyone's minds in my 20 years of being in this business, no one I've ever worked with, not one author I've ever worked with has had their idea stolen, not once. So I can tell you it is not going to be something you need to worry about. Worry instead about keeping it under your hat and thus keeping your light under a bushel basically for the rest of your life. That is what I'd, that's what I'd be more concerned about is you actually coming to the end of your life, not having done the thing you knew you were supposed to do, which was write this book. Oh, thank you for addressing that so much because I can relate to what one of the steps in writing a book proposal is doing the, you know, comp titles, yes. which are, yeah, titles that are similar and then distinguishing your work. Now, as a former lawyer, I was good at distinguishing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and for listeners out there who don't know what that is, it's saying, this is how we're similar and this is how I'm different. Yes. But yes, I looked at some big books, one of which you edited the oh, really? book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Regina. Uh-huh. Yeah, yep. yeah. Amazing that book. was one of my comp titles. Great. Um, yeah, fem- uh, Feminine Wisdom, the, uh, I'm losing her name, Rachel, J- Rachel Jane Grover. Oh, okay, I don't know. Yeah, doesn't matter, but they're all similar and same yep. thing. You play this game in your head, it's already been written. People are already talking about it. I yes. can't do that. Yes, yes, but not take, true. Yep. Take a step back. <laughs> Nobody has my story. Nobody has your story. Even if they do, the wisdom is different. Yes, 100%. And everyone, you know, just think about what it's like when you walk into a party. There's 20 people in the room. You are naturally drawn to some of those people and not to other people. The same is the case with authors. You'll be naturally drawn to authors who resonate on some frequency, if you want to get, you know, woo-woo about it, that you also resonate on. And so someone who resonates with, let's say Regina's book may not resonate with yours, but someone who resonates with you and your book is not going to resonate with her as strongly. So you just need to know you are a unique person and you will be someone people will want to come talk to at the party. You just got to get your book out there so that they have a place to go. Right. And I like how you said too, it's all different, but it's all the same. There are no unique yeah. ideas. <laughs> just aren't. It's so true. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. Um, my dear friend and, and wonderful colleague, Reed Tracy at Hay House tells this story about having had someone fly in from the UK to meet with him, which he lives in California. It's a very long flight, came just to meet with him to pitch this idea because they wanted to pitch it in person because it was so unique and no one had ever had this idea before and they wanted to look him in the eye and make sure he didn't steal it. <laughs> and he was able to say to them, oh, that's so interesting. Our author, who we already have on our, our list, just called me yesterday and pitched the exact same idea to me. And he had notes from that and was able to show. So this was such a good example of how even though you think you that no one's ever heard it before, those of us who are in the book business, who are being pitched ideas all day long, yeah. every day, and also are very deeply read in the category that we work on. We have read more books in that category probably than you have. We know that book. We've seen it before. That book came out in 2002. But you know what? You have a different title. It's a different year. There's a different audience. There's all sorts of things that are different about it today. And so you don't need to be afraid of people having your same ideas. You really don't. It's actually, here's what I also say. If you 
say, well, my idea has never been tried before because I looked on Amazon and it's not there. I say, that's a little bit scary because huh. if it's not there, I know from being in the book business that it was probably tried before and failed. So actually it's a good thing if a book like yours is out there because that means there's a readership that's still keeping that book alive. That's really good news for you. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Okay. Now your workshop on your book is coming up in Rhinebeck, New York at the Omega Institute. And that's October. What's the date again? October 20th to the 25th. Okay. 20th to the 25th. I'm sure there are listeners who are interested, but might not be able to make that. Yes. You said you've taught this workshop in the past. Will you be teaching it again in the future as well? Yes, absolutely. So right now, I know that I'm teaching it in February at 1440 Multiversity, which is another amazing retreat center in Santa Cruz, California. And I'm teaching it at the Kripalu Center, which is actually right in Western Massachusetts in at the end of March. And then I will be teaching it once again next year around the same time. Actually, I think it's in September of next year at the Omega Institute. And who knows, there are probably other dates that will get popped in there. You can always look at my website, knliterary.com and the forward slash event events, you will see all of the currently scheduled events right on that page. Perfect. So that way, if you're like, yes, this is it. I heard it at the right time. The universe opened up. The angels yeah. in. <laughs> You can go now, but if you need to take, you know, some more time to plan or to process that, you've got several opportunities. And then in the meantime, where can people get your book if they're like, I need to learn more? Yes, absolutely. Well, you can find it wherever books are sold, as they Perfect. say. You can find it on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and the you know, every hopefully every independent bookstore can order it for sure, whether they have it on their shelf or not. I love that. Okay, now I want to walk you, Kelly, through the five steps of Flaunt. Great. Yeah, with regards to you and your work and what you are doing. Great. Okay, now the first step of Flaunt is find your fetish. It seems to me like books are definitely your fetish. <laughs> they are one of my fetishes, I will say. One of my top, top fetishes. All right. So tell us a little bit more about some of the things that light you up and just get you passionate about life. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, books are definitely one of them. Writing is one of them. I absolutely love writing. I journal every morning and I don't know what I'd do without that. Um, I have lately become obsessed with the night sky. So astronomy is what's lighting me up right now. I I am getting to know the constellations. I have my binoculars. I get them out on every clear night. Um, and I live somewhere that's a little bit more rural. And so I have access to the Milky Way very frequently, oh. which is just absolutely a stunning gift. And I wish that everyone gets to spend time under the Milky Way um, as soon as possible. So that's one thing that I'm very, very excited about. Um, and then I'm also very excited about my, my twin godsons who I spend a lot of time with. And they're you know turning 11 next week and just the one of the big lights of my life for sure. Oh my gosh, how fun. And isn't it exciting that you can kind of put so many of those different things together? You know, yeah. reading and writing and the stars and I bet you're reading about astronomy. I am reading about astronomy every day. <laughs> I love that. And then are you able to share that with the twin godsons? Um, yes, I, I right now... I would say that I'm getting in the place where I'm learning the constellations so that I can say, this is that and look over there and you can see that. But basically anyone who is with me, if when the stars start coming out, I'm like, Oh, that's Vega. Oh, that's actually Jupiter. Oh, <laughs> you think that's a star, but that's Saturn. Um, and so I mean, I do get a little geeky about it right now. And yes, but it's something that I, I don't know how exactly it's going to be in my life in the long term, but it definitely feels like there's something that's going to, I don't know what it is yet. I'm excited to see where it's going to fit into my life. Yeah. I like that. 
maybe it'll be another book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you never who knows. Know. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I just have to, listeners, just bear with me because I just have to tell a funny story that I hope you guys and Kelly will appreciate. The other night, my husband and I are taking a walk. We're looking up at the moon and he's like, oh, wow, look at Mars. And I'm like, wow, it looks so big. And then pretty soon it starts moving and he's like, look at Mars move. <laughs> it's an airplane. It's an airplane. Exactly. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yep. Yeah. Mars is red, but not that red. Right, right. We're like, hmm. Not quite. Yeah, funny. Which leads right into the second step, L, laugh out loud. We just had a little moment of laughter there. Yes. What else makes you laugh? What gets you happy? What tickles your funny bone? What ironic little things happen in your brain? Oh, that's funny. Well, I'll say... I tend to laugh a lot at animals. I love animals and I love watching like dogs and cats. And I again live in the country. So there's horses and there's cows. And I mean, I go for a walk every morning and I get to walk by cows and sheep and chickens and a goat and they make me laugh every day. It's very funny. It's very easy to laugh when you're by yourself and just enjoying, you know, the beauty of the world. And then the cows start doing something funny. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I enjoy that. So what about humor in your work? You know, if people yeah. if people are at your workshop, is there humor that you use to teach or how do you incorporate that if you do? I mean, I would say that I do think that I have a pretty good sense of humor and people do find me funny. I've been a natural presenter my whole life. And there's some piece around that that always sort of ties in with humor because, you know, when you're you're able to catch something funny in the moment and get everyone in the room in on an inside joke, it's something that is priceless. And you can then use it over and over throughout the course of the week to remind everyone of that moment. And so it's something that I do try to use a lot. You know, life can get kind of heavy. There are things that happen that can have, you know, the feel, feel like the weight of the world's on your shoulders, but there's always room for laughter. Like really, it is not as serious as we think it is. And I think one of the things that's a benefit of paying attention to the night sky is noticing how little we actually are and how huge it is out there. And suddenly that perspective just has you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got so wound up about XYZ happening today. And then you can laugh at yourself. Mm-hmm. I like that. And also you had mentioned that sometimes it's intimidating for people to stand up and to share their writing yes. and their story and, and just having that little bit of lev- levity that it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. My gosh, absolutely. We all have our foibles. We all are going to be good at some things and not good at other things. And yeah, let's just hold it all with love. And, and yes, the humor of this entire bizarre experience that we call human life, you know, this mystery that we're all a part of. Yeah. I love that. So the next step is AU, and that's accept unconditionally, which is the golden center of flaunt. Yes, beautiful. (laughs) I am presuming that you have had to accept some difficult things in life. Mm. You've probably had to accept some amazing things, but also some difficult things. Mm -hmm. Can you share with the listeners some of the things that you have had to overcome that you didn't just graduate from loss or from, you know, college and go to New York and everything was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that, that I, I look back on, you know, of course, with, we have such good perspective when we look back and I think that every step of the way has been so good and important and, and helpful and got me exactly where I am today. But it wasn't always easy, you know, being in New York, I definitely found that I um, was feeling a tension between thinking that I wanted to have kids and get married and, you know, have sort of a more um, conventional life, like what I had seen around me growing up. 
And yet I'd chosen a career life that took up a lot of my time and attention. And, um, and I felt a lot of tension around that and a lot of grief for many years. And um, then when I got into my 30s and I had moved to Colorado, I just decided, you know, it's, I can really trust life. And I remember um, making an actual commitment that I was no longer going to ask God for this man and baby that I thought I wanted and see what happened. And the most beautiful things unfolded because of that and that letting go of that grief. And, um, and one of them led me into a long-term relationship with a wonderful man who had, um, twin sons, uh, who I was talking about earlier. And we were together for most of my thirties into my early forties. And, um, then he got sick. And he died in 2017 of cancer. And so that is definitely one of the things that was the, one of the greatest gifts of my entire life and also one of the most difficult things. And, you know, that unconditional acceptance had to come into play there because there was nothing I could do. And I think that that's one of the um, big, you know, when I look back at my challenges over the years, they were mostly around trying to control things and make things turn out the way that I thought they should. And that was the great experience and the great teacher of, this is not up to me. And if I got to control this, this is not how it would unfold. And yet I look at it now. And I mean, of course, I would still, you know, exchange everything to have him back. But I also, you know, have an amazing relationship with his sons and with their mom. And we're all this kind of little indie family here in Western Colorado. And um, we just, it's just brought so much joy and and actually a perfect sort of, um, resolution to that question of having children. And for me, it's because I get the benefits of having kids um, and having kids in my life who I just absolutely love, um, while also getting to maintain the freedom that my career actually requires of me, which is to be able to travel a lot and to be able to work 24-7 when things are really big and, you know, and we're in transition, which we've been at the company for the last couple months. Um, And then not have to have them, those children be well taken care of by their own mother, um, but then be able to welcome them back in, you know, and, and get to spend time with them. So it's, it's actually turned out to be the perfect um, way for me to have children in my life. So again, I don't mean to tie everything up with a bow because there's been a lot of grief along the way. And I still process grief from the loss of Benjamin and also my father who died two, two weeks before Benjamin. It was a pretty rough spring um, of 2017, but I, I'm, I'm grateful for it, you know, and I'm, I'm in the experience of being a human being. And I just know that the only thing you can do to stay sane is to say yes, that unconditional acceptance that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. And so many things that I want to honor you for that. First, for saying yes to that whole, it, I interviewed somebody yesterday whose phrase was, you say yes to the adventure. Yes. And you said yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I like the tie-in that you made looking at the night sky and realizing we are such a microscopic <laughs> yes. piece and uh-huh. we don't have control. And also, I just want to express again, congratulations and honor for recognizing there is beauty that comes out of it. Mm-hmm. And of course, you would give anything to have that back. Of course, there's still grief. But you're also focusing on what is mm-hmm. and saying yes to receiving these glorious benefits to what is. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I've, I'm lucky, I think, because I think my, my psyche naturally tracks in that direction toward finding the good in the situation. Um, But boy, there's a lot. There's just so much. I wouldn't be where I am today and I wouldn't have the people in my life I have today. And, you know, I I really wouldn't be 
in a place, I would not be living in a place that where I could see the Milky Way <laughs> if I, if, if this, if that experience hadn't happened. So yeah, I do, I do give thanks every day. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. So we've talked as part of that unconditional acceptance, you have to N, navigate the negative. Mm-hmm. Do you have tools that have really helped you? I know you mentioned meditation earlier, yes. but wisdom that you can share with the listeners that, hey, these are my tools and this really helps. Yes. I mean, there's, I, I would say that I've collected a lot of tools over the years. I've been in a pretty deep, you know, spiritual psychological journey since I was, you know, in my mid twenties, I would say, um, catalyzed by that question of not having, you know, not being in a relationship or having the, um, the partner that I thought I was going to have and having kids. Well, so I would say, you know, meditation was the biggest shift, the biggest single shift in my life. Um, recognizing that the thoughts that were in my head were just thoughts and not that they stop. Believe me, I get into a mind spin just like anybody else, but I have a little bit more perspective on it now. I know, oh, this is a mind spin. This is, this is where I go crazy a little bit. Okay, I'm going to let myself go crazy for a little while. And then when I'm ready to be sane again, I'm going to go sit down on my cushion and I'm going to turn on my timer for half an hour. And I'm just going to be. And that has been one of the tools that has made the biggest difference. Um, I mentioned earlier journaling. I mean, journaling is just such my friend because I can get out on the page things that if I were to dump them at the feet of, I don't know, my boyfriend or um, my family members or my um, employees, that would not go well. No. <laughs> so I can just get them out of my body, out of my mind, out of my head, onto the page, and no one ever has to see it again. So that's a big one. And then, you know, I'm going to say one that that is, um, I don't know, not controversial, but like that's some people don't like to admit, but I have been in therapy straight through for the past 15 years. And I would never exchange that for anything. I cannot tell you how much perspective, sanity, um, creative energy has been liberated by having someone in my life who is there with their wisdom to be to bring to my life so that in places where I can't really see it, Clearly, because I'm caught inside of it. And to have that reflective person there um, with wisdom and their own life experience and the generosity of time to listen and give me feedback, I, I don't know if I'd be where I am today without it. Honestly, I have like so much gratitude for all of my wonderful therapists over the years, you know, some of whom have been actual therapists, others have been just coaches, but somebody there all, always, I've always had at least one person there to to listen. And it's extremely, extremely helpful for that to be someone who's not a part of your life and doesn't need your love in order to be okay, because then that is going to naturally warp the way that they listen to you and how they give you reflection back. It's not that it's not still really important to have friends and loved ones that give you reflection. I think it's very important, but to have someone whose only job is to be there for you, I think it's invaluable. And I wish that for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I, I'm standing up on my little soapbox and I'm waving my arms. Yes. And I also appreciate how you said it's not necessarily a quote unquote therapist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because same thing in my life over the last two years, I've been on a, a similar yet different journey to you. And I have a traditional therapist, but I also have an energy therapist, like spiritual direction therapist. Mm -hmm. And I have, you know, a variety of people, but you're right. It's, they don't have the buy-in to you in the same way that friends and family do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't, yeah, I, I, you know, you said it might, might be controversial. I don't know why it is. 
Right. Well, I think that we're getting to the end of that. I hope that, you know, there's, there's just generational norms. And Mm -hmm. for example, like, I don't think my, my parents would ever have gone to a therapist or at least if they went, they would never have revealed it to the world. Meanwhile, I talk to everybody about my therapist, you know, and I'm recommending therapists right, left and center. And many of my best friends are actually therapists, including my sister is actually a therapist. And so there's a way that it's just become more the norm, I think. And people recognize that, you know, you're allowed to go talk to somebody and it's actually even a good idea. And your insurance may even in fact pay for it, you know? Yes. I also think, I always say that I think the Sopranos helped with that because Tony Soprano went to a therapist and that was like kind of the, the funny, you know, beginning of that show was that this mobster was with the therapist, but it really, over the course of the show, she became a huge character and people started to, I think, think just it got it got a little more normalized you know is when things get into the media they get a little more normalized and I'm happy that that's happening yes I'm happy too and then tagging on to meditation and journaling do you practice a certain form of meditation you know because I'm thinking listeners might be thinking I don't know how to meditate, but she said get a timer and a cushion. And yeah. What is that? <laughs> yes, totally. So I would say what I practice a type of meditation that's called shamatha, which is just super basic, comes out of the Tibetan Buddhist world. It's it's nothing fancy. But when I first started, I could not have done it on my own. So I want to just say many people I know say, oh, I tried to meditate. It didn't work. I was the same. I ended up having to take a class and I took a class through the Shambhala Center in New York City, where I was living at the time. And there's um, a lot of towns and cities around the U.S. and the world have Shambhala centers, but you can also find a lot of support now on your phone. So I recommend um, an app called Insight Timer, and it is a beautiful app. It's free, and it offers you a lot of free different meditations, and you can just listen to one and find one, you know, test drive a few, see which one you like the best, and then use that. And so it's a support until you get to the point where maybe you're ready to go do a retreat weekend or take a class, because I do think that having other people around you meditating eventually can deepen the experience beyond anything you could ever experience on your own, even with one of the apps. The apps are a great place to start. Find the type of meditation that you like and then seek out some sort of a more supported environment at a place like the Omega Center um, or Kripalu or 1440 or Esalen or any of these big retreat centers is a great place to go. That's perfect. Thank you. And then you mentioned journaling. And earlier on, you also mentioned writing and journaling as a way to practice writing. Can, yes. you, can you speak to that? Are they the same? Are they different? What do listeners need to know? Yes. So I will say that there are essentially three different types of writing that I take part in. So the first type is what I call journaling. And that's where I just open a page and start writing. Now, if you want some support around that, because you're like, I don't know how to do that. I highly recommend Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. And in that book, she talks about something she calls morning pages, which is that you sit every morning, you write three pages pages worth of whatever is on your mind. And I would say my daily journaling practice is basically an evolution of morning pages in my life. So that is a great place to start if you would like to have some sort of concrete, you know, beginning. Then the second type of writing that I do is something I call writing prompts. And this is a place where rather than just writing whatever the heck is on your mind, you actually choose a prompt and that's a sentence starter. And it could be something like, what I want to write about is dot, 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 or 
um, what I would like my book to be is dot, dot, dot. Um, and that's a great way to write something that you eventually might use in formulating your book or in writing a blog or a newsletter or something like that. It's not just calling your mind jumble. It's a little more focused. And then the third type of writing is actually writing from your outline, writing content you know you would like to have in your book. It's a whole different type of writing. Again, there is sort of a prompt because you know what the bullet point is you're supposed to be writing about that right. day, right? Um, but it's, it's really very much geared toward you know this is a piece that you want to put in your book. So those are my three types of writing that I use on a daily basis. I I love it. Thank you. And then the last step of flaunt is T, trust in your truth. Mm. I would love to hear everything, just kind of like one of those journal pages where yeah. you're just letting it flow. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your truth, Kelly. And mm. There's a lot of truth in you. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I definitely think we all have our, our truth. You know, the thing that I would say first and foremost is that I have learned over the course of the last, you know, decade or so, that life is trustworthy, that we can actually trust what we want as the guidepost for where our life is meant to go. So I feel like what we desire desires us in return. So we can really start looking at and not feeling selfish about asking ourselves, what would I like? If I could have anything right now, what would it be like? If I could wave a magic wand over my life, what would it be like? And it would have no ill effects on my children or my husband or my wife or my family members or my business because people get so caught up. Well, if I get what I want, that means all these other people don't get what they want, which is a fallacy we have been taught. That is not true. The more of us that are seeking what we want and reaching for it, the more of us also get to have what we want. A great example, I've been in negotiations with a couple people about a role at the company and one of them I really love, she's a personal friend, and yet she went offline for a week because her husband had unexpected surgery. In that meantime, I found someone who was actually a better fit for the role and it just happened so quickly that I offered that person the job. Well, then I felt terrible. Oh my gosh, this friend of mine who we've been in negotiation for quite a while, what if she feels like I left her behind somehow? And you know what? I wrote her and I said, I'm so sorry. I don't know, you know, just unfolded. I'm trusting life's movements right. here. This is what I think is supposed to happen. And she wrote back and said, I have been wondering how I could tell you that I didn't feel like this was the right role for me. So how perfect was that? I trusted life. I did not put the brakes on the, the person that felt like the right person for the job because I knew deeply this feels aligned and I didn't let my fear of hurting this other person get in the way. And as it turned out, I liberated her from having to tell me that she didn't want the job. So I just offer that as one example of how what we want, if we follow what feels right to us, it does tend to unfold. Even if there's some tr trouble in the beginning, even if people kick up a fuss at the start, eventually down the line, they'll look back and say, wow, you following your desire allowed me to follow mine. And in that way, our desire is trustworthy, our lives are trustworthy, and we can just take the next step and do everything we can to enjoy what's here. I love that. And what an example you are giving other people too around you by sharing that story. Because especially as women, I talk yes. about this in my book too, as women, we have to be nice, we have to be kind, we can't offend people, but you also have to speak your truth. Yeah. Really? How? <laughs> How do I do that? Exactly. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And what a glorious example of you knowing, okay, this felt good. And 
It was the perfect resolution. It was the perfect resolution. And I knew that I've, I've tested this theory enough times to know, oh, okay, mm-hmm. I can, I, again, I feel shaky. Again, I feel concerned. Again, I feel worried about upsetting someone. But you know what? I've trusted this so many times. It's worked out every single time. I can do it again this time. And now the earthquakes are less loud. I knew that it was going to be fine. I just didn't know how it was going to be fine. And voila, it was actually just as easy as it could possibly be. It was beautiful. Oh, that's perfect. And then you wrote the book, the book you were born to write. Now, you were born to write that book. What else are you born Uh, to do? Yes, good question. I mean, I definitely am a born writer. It's something that's in my blood and my bones. I love writing. And so I imagine I will write a memoir at some point, probably quite a bit focused on the journey I went through with Benjamin and his passing um, and potentially how things unfolded after that. Again, that sort of idea that oh my gosh, the world would end if the beloved in our lives were to get sick and die. We can't even imagine what life would be like beyond that. And I completely and totally understand it. And of course, I wish for everyone to, you know, die holding hands with their loved one, you know, in their sleep together at the same time. That would be fabulous. (laughs) And for most of us, that's not how it's going to go. And I would love to be able to be part of the messaging in the world that life goes on. And again, we don't know why we lost. I'm looking at a picture of him here. We don't know why we lost Benjamin so young. And yet someday, maybe if things are, if the mystery turns out to be the way I would like it to be, I will know more. But not until I too step into that mystery that he stepped into. And so in the meantime, I choose to trust. It was perfect. And I choose to say yes to what has come behind it. And it's been the most beautiful unfolding. And I want to tell that story. So I imagine that book is somewhere in my future as well. Oh, that's beautiful. And I can't wait to read it whenever <laughs> that comes out. Thanks, Laura. <laughs> so listeners, if you want to go to Kelly's workshop or one of her future workshops or grab her book, wherever books is sold, yes. <laughs> you can do that. And one more time, give your website so people can find you, your workshops, either now at the Omega Center or later. Yes, it's KN, that's my initials for Kelly Notaris, knliterary.com. Perfect. Thank you. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed today and are leaving feeling motivated, empowered, and mostly filled with trust and alignment. Have a fantastic week. And as usual, don't forget to flaunt. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Build your dreams. Live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Come release self-judgment, reveal your naked self-worth, and re-choreograph a life filled with joy. Flaunt. Find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Find out more at lauracheadle.com. That's L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E.com. Mom.